Well, as they just, excuse me, as they just announced, I'm kind of the fill-in today, and it's gotten to be a tradition. So I'm guessing it's maybe 20 years ago, and Kim came home um, about a month before Mother's Day, and he said, you know, I just do not know what to say to mothers. So he said, I'd like you to do it. So it has kind of started a tradition for me, and when it gets to be April, March, April, then I'm starting to go, <gasps> it's May again, it's Mother's Day again. So I don't know if it's my Mother's Day gift from him that I get to do this or not, but, <laughs> but I always learn a lot, and today what I'm going to talk about is um, I'm challenging myself, and I'm speaking to myself, and I hope that the Lord can use this to speak into your life as well. Um, Kim is in Ukraine. He left Tuesday, and he's coming back next Tuesday. And um, just so you know, the young people that have gone from this church are representing you very well. Kim said that those guys have just dug ditches and handled concrete, cement blocks, and he said they've just worked like troopers. And so he said it's just been a real joy to partner with those four young men on this trip. So um, in Ukraine, they have big, a big retain, retaining wall between the church and the apartment buildings. And I guess they had a lot of rain, and that 10-foot wall fell down. So that's what they have been doing, is digging a new trench and rebuilding that wall. So I saw Ethan, on, uh, Kim Skyped with me uh, after the first day that they did that, and I go, Ethan, do you have jet lag? <laughs> Kim said, no, he's been digging trenches today by hand with a shovel. So anyway, but they've had a really good time. Kim's birthday happened while they were en route, and so I was teasing him on the before he left. I said, well, this will be the shortest birthday that you've ever had because he passed eight time zones on his birthday. So it was one o'clock in the afternoon on his birthday when they got there. So, but they welcomed him to Ukraine with uh, a Ukrainian birthday cake, which food there is amazing, and the cake, Kim said, they, eat, they had the rest of it for breakfast. <laughs> so... <laughs> this morning, I was going to, and I, I forgot that the kids already left, so I wanted four volunteers. So are there kids like Esther? Could you come up? Yes, Peter. And let's see, who else can I pick on? Do I have two more? Cody? Cody. Yes, of course. <laughs> can, is there one more that's about this same age group? If it is, come on up. Oh, you know what? Here, I need a mic. Can I just grab a mic? Andrew, you're back there. Is, is this on? It's number 20. So I have a question for you kids this Mother's Day. Since we are going to be talking today about happy, 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 I would like to know, I'm not going to ask if your mother is happy. That's a dangerous question. I'm going to ask what makes her happy. What makes your mom really happy? Is this, do you want me to pick a different mic? Um, oh, How do, do I have to turn it on? Um, I am not, I am, this shows you how technological I am. Okay, I think I did it, did I do it? Is it on? I, I, it says O-N, on. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on number 20, does that work? Is that working? Can you hear me? Sort of? What? Just ask her. Okay. Oh, because you don't want two mics at one time. <laughs> 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 so.
So, what, Esther, what makes your mom happy? It's not on? It's not on. She, he'll turn it on for you. Talk real loud. Oh, <laughs> which you do lots, right? Yes. yes, I know you do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're so talented, Andrew. Thank you. Um, my mom gets happy when a new Marvel movie comes out. Want to say that again? A new Marvel movie? <laughs> I didn't expect that answer. <laughs> Cody, what makes my, you... My mom's happy when I do what she says. Oh, that's a great thing. Well, I have something to make your mom's happy. So there you go. Tell your mom happy Mother's Day. From you. Okay, Hi. thank you. No. <laughs> that's from your mom. It's Mom's Day. You have to wait till Kids' Day. Okay, thank you. You can go sit down. The worship team has been eyeing those all morning, and so um, a couple of them threatened that they were going to come up here when I called for kids. <laughs> so this morning, I would like to ask the question, are you, oh, I don't need this anymore. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> are you happy? If you do an, analys an, an analysis of your heart, would you say this morning that you are happy sitting in this pew? What makes you happy? If you're not happy, what's keeping you from being happy? What could you change in your life that would fix things so that you would feel happy? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. My father died in November, this last November, and um, so we are looking at selling his farm. And my mother died in 2006, but my dad didn't want us to touch any of her stuff. He wanted it all left just as it was. So we are going through both my mom's and my dad's stuff about once a month when we go over to Minnesota. And so a lot of the things that I have uncovered have brought me back to when I was a little girl. Now, my mom and dad were high school sweethearts, and after they graduated, my dad went into the Navy, and my mother was saved during this time. And she had gone to church all her life, but she didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus until she was in her early 20s. She went to Bible school and then became a, a secretary to someone in the Minnesota House of Representatives. My dad came back from the Navy, called her up. I don't know, maybe he didn't call her. I don't know if they called back then. Anyway, whatever. He got in touch with her. And he was, he's very charming. So he charmed my mom and asked her to marry him, and she said yes. And we always laughed because they spent their honeymoon in Reamer, Minnesota. So if you, any of you who know Minis Reamer, Minnesota, know about what that would be like. So their first night they spent in a hotel that probably had about two rooms behind a bar. And then the next day they headed out to the deer hunting shack. And that's where they spent the rest of their vacation. <laughs> Not vacation. I don't know what you would call it, honeymoon. So I think that if it hadn't happened before, then that was probably a wake-up call to my mom of what things would be go going to be like being married to my dad. My dad had lots of hobbies and hunting and fishing and work and baseball and lots of interests and that took him away from home. So 
we were often alone, my sister and I and my mom, and my mom kind of went to her faith to get her strength for um, daily life. Things were not happy in my parents' marriage. Um, I don't remember fighting between them, but I just remember a lot of tension and underlying strife that there was between them. And I, I knew that my mom was lonely and depressed. I knew she was disappointed in their relationship. She was sick a lot, had a lot of health problems, and I know that she prayed continually for my dad's salvation. So I felt bad for her. I felt bad that she sat alone in church. I felt that when we had um, family get-togethers, um, my dad often didn't go. And so I vowed that I would never marry a non-Christian. And I vowed that I would never marry someone like my dad. So when I met Kim, and he was headed for the ministry, and he was, his goal in life was to serve the Lord, I thought, wow, this is it. This is my ticket to life, my ticket to happiness. So we got married, and I found that I still was not happy. Why wasn't I happy? I had a good Christian husband. Eventually, I had three wonderful, healthy children. And God started showing me that I was mirroring my mom's outlook on life. So my circumstances changed, but things did not change up here. So part of my testimony, which I won't go into it today, a lot of you know my testimony, God did an amazing work of healing in my life, and I felt joy when I was probably 31 years old for, I believe, the first time in my life. And so when I have been going through my mom's stuff, she was a writer, and so she wrote notebooks and notebooks and little pieces of paper everywhere, and so I collected them all and put them in a bag, and I brought them home, and I thought, because my mom just had such amazing knowledge of scripture and she had such a deep prayer life that I was really excited to read her journals. So I sat down on my couch in the living room one night and I started going through her journals. And after about an hour, I shut them and I told Kim, my husband, I said, I cannot, I, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm, I can't do this anymore. Because in her journals was all of what I remembered as a child. And that was how unhappy she was, and especially in her marriage. And that cloud kind of hovered, I believe, over everything in our home and in her life. So I just thought to myself, you know, my mom and how her outlook on life affected me so much. And as a mom, to not be a joyful person to be a sad person, to not look at life as full of opportunities or that the Lord is everything that we need is, is such a sad thing to pass on to your children. So I would like to talk about, speak about joy this morning. And I de have determined that I want to live my life out of joy. I want to bring joy to my family I want to bring joy to you when I see you on Sunday morning, if I meet you at the door or Connection Cafe, when I go to the grocery store, when I, the mailman comes to my door. I hope that in some little way that I can bring joy and the joy that I have known that God's blessed me with to others. And I would like that for us as women and as moms, as grandmas in this church, that our ministry would be that of, of reflecting joy. Um, I did a word study on joy 
So I have lots of scriptures to go through this morning, more than um, just one scripture. So I did a word study, and the first place I looked was the word happy. And if you have on your insert and up on the wall, you'll see. Um, I looked up happy. Happy in the Old Testament is only used 20 times. There's only one Hebrew word, and it's esher. It means straight, level, right. In the New Testament, it's only used six times, and it's the Greek word makarios, means to be fortunate or well off. Then in the Old Testament, I looked up, and that's when I looked up joy. And that was like, I'm going, oh my goodness, can I read all these scriptures before Mother's Day? There were like, I looked up, there's joy, it's translated joyful, joyous, enjoy, joyful, rejoice, exalt, glad, merry. These all come out of the same Hebrew words. And I counted, I quit counting, I counted 537 times where some form of the word joy is used in the Old Testament. Now there's also lots of words in the Old Testament that are used for, for joy. The first one is simcha, and it means very, exceedingly full of joy, and it's used in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of joy. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. The second word that I looked up was sus. It means to be bright, cheerful. Isaiah 61 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Giel means to spin around or to twirl. We had company a couple of weeks ago, and they had um, four little kids at our house, and the one little girl, Sophia, came in the kitchen to me, and she said, can you twirl? And so we twirled in the kitchen when nobody was looking, and it was so much fun. And that's a picture of joy, gil, to spin around or twirl. Habakkuk 3.18 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice that's the spin around rejoice, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Rahan means it's the shrill sound of joy, like the cry of trumpets, like Robert on Easter Sunday. And that we can find in Psalm 126.5. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Those who sow in tears shall reap with sounds of joy. He who goes out weeping shall come home with shouts of joy. Truah is a battle cry of triumph when you've won, like you've won the game, you've won the war. And in Psalm 89, 15, it says, Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all day. And then the last one is alots, which means, I love this one, to jump for joy, to spring up, to come alive. And we find that in Psalm 92. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. So I learned from my study that evidently to be joyful is different from happiness. To Number two, to be joyful is more important than happiness. Number three, and this is an important one, to be joyful is God's will for me. Number four, 
God is joyful. Zephaniah 3.17 says, he uses four of those, this is God looking out, looking over us, and it says, he will be bright and cheerful over you with exceeding great, very much joy. He will heal, or he will spin around over you with a shrill shout of joy. So to be like God, we are created in his image. To be like God is to be joyful. So I, so Pete asked me today if this was a radar gun or a flashlight. This is a flashlight. This is my flashlight, and nobody in my house better touch this flashlight because it's mine, and I want to know right where it is. I bought this flashlight because when I'm home alone, and if my dog is in the backyard, this flashlight lights up the whole backyard, and I can see if somebody's back there. So anyway, the other night, the dog was barking, and so I took my flashlight out in the backyard, and I won't turn it on. I'll, I blind you all. Anyway, I turned it on in my black, and the whole backyard lit up, and pretty soon, flick, 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 all the neighbors were turning on their lights. So I'm telling all the neighbors, saw this big light in the backyard, and they were wondering what it was, so I thought, oh, no. <laughs> Anyway, it's God's will for us to shine light in the world that he has placed us in. And our joy brings him great joy. Don't you love when your kids are just, like, happy about something? Don't you love it when to do things for them that gives them great joy if they open up a gift? It's just like, oh, wow, mom, I can't believe you bought this. It gives you great joy. Same with God. He is joyful when we are joyful. Our joy also brings him great glory. When we bear his name, we are representing him. And so the God that we serve is a God of joy and brings us great joy. So if it's God's will that we be joyful, why are we not joyful? I'd like to suggest, and I know there's more, but I'd like to suggest six things that are joy killers in our lives. Now my dad, my dad, my husband, has two big magnets, and they, when you, when you have the magnets the right way, they attract, but if you turn one around, have you ever tried to get magnets, big magnets like that to come together? You cannot do it. You just, because there's such a strong force that repels. I would like to suggest that these six things will repel joy in your life. First is fear. Now, we have the stomach and knots kind of fear, like, <gasps> you wake up your husband, I think there's someone downstairs. That's the stomach and knots fear. Then there's the chronic fear, which is worry or stress or anxiousness. And this, I think all of these, we kind of, we kind of excuse them because we say this is just how life is, is. This is just a reaction to that life is hard. But I believe that, that to sit in these things is sin. And our worry, our stress, our anxiousness is not trusting God with the details of our lives. It's not that um, letting go and letting God. And we can have chronic fear about health problems, about our kids, about our finances. We can have anxiety about relationships or about work. And um, as, a, as a young mom, the Lord convicted me that my fears were sin and that I needed to l let, let it go and let God have it. 
Now, being married to Kim is, I'm a little bit of a fearful person. So, in fact, I do all of these. That's probably why I picked all these six. It's because they're ones that I do. And I'm a little bit of a, of a fearful person. I'm not very daring. And I am married to somebody that to have fun is to do something daring. So he's always stretching me. And sometimes I'll say just no, and so then he'll take the kids. But then those are my kids that he takes. So, for example, we... We lived in Minnesota. We lived a mile out of town on a gravel road, and they put up a new water tower on that road. And so we were taking a nice family bike ride, and we come to the, to, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? <laughs> we came to this water tower, and Kim goes, let's climb it. <laughs> and, so, and so he took my kids up, in the inside of that water tower and pretty soon here they were they opened the little door the hatch at the top and they're going hi mom you know and so anyway so i have i do the same thing every time this happens because i do not want my kids to grow up and be fearful people i don't want them to be like me i want them to be like their dad that life is all about taking risks and daring and and um seeing testing yourself and your courage. And all three of my kids are like their dad. They're not like me. I'm so thankful. I lost my train of thought. Oh, what I do. So then whenever, and my kids, Lonnie knows this, my stance when, when Kim takes the kids somewhere that I'm afraid is I'll sit down and I cover my eyes and I pray and then I just wait till it's over. <laughs> The second thing that I believe is joy killer is busyness. I also believe that busyness can be a form of fear. We can be afraid that we're not very important. So I have struggled with this now that my kids are gone and I have an empty nest and I'm not quite as busy. And so am I important? So maybe if I find something to do, I will be a more important person. We can be afraid that we're not going to do something well enough. So we try harder to make it perfect. So if it's perfect, then we know that it's done well enough. We can be afraid that we won't get everything done. So what do you do if you think you're not going to get everything done? You hurry. And so you rush. And so you, um, you, you try to fix it yourself. I believe that there's a difference between working fast and hurrying. And it's all here. It's all in the attitude of your head. I have a friend named Lois who always said, she, got, she gets so much done. And she always said, I'm just the happiest when I have all my, all my machines going. So, <laughs> in her kitchen. But she's, so she can get lots done, but she's very peaceful as she does it. To, be wor to work and be busy is not bad. God created work before sin came into the world. He caused, called us to be fruitful and multiply and till the ground, take care of the garden where, we are, where we're planted. And so to be busy is part of God's plan. But it's not part of God's plan for you to be driven by your busyness. A check, a way to do a check on yourself is that do you feel joy while you're doing your work? Do you feel joy when you're done? You go, wow, that was really fun. And that was a job. I did a good job on that. 
Or mentally, do you jump from one thing to the next and you're off and you're mentally crossing off all the lists, things on your list and when you get to the bottom of the list, oh, I should put more things on my list. I do that. Does your list drive you so you feel more like a machine than a person? Number three is disobedience. Is God asking you to do something that you're not doing? Is God asking you to not do something that you're doing? Has God asked you to let go of something that you're hanging on to? If you do any of those, you're disobedient, and disobedience builds a wall between you and God, and God is the source of our joy. Number four is negative thinking, and and this is a big one. We can feel sorry for ourselves. We can feel unappreciated. We can feel like nobody notices or cares. We can complain. We can dwell on our problems. Um, And have you ever prayed prayed your problems to the Lord and you feel worse when you're done than before you started? And maybe that's because you are dwelling on your problems, not letting it go and letting letting God take care of it. Um, I went through a time where... um, when I was a young mom of depression and when the Lord healed me, it was like, I don't want to go back again. I don't ever want to go back to where I was. And so if I have some, if I feel stressed or if I feel, you know, this um, overarching sadness where it's cloudy all the time even when it's sunny, I have found that a good thing to do is to take a thought inventory. So just pay attention throughout the day of what you're thinking about because we can be thinking about things that we don't know that we're thinking about. And you can check yourself throughout the day. What am I thinking about? Am I afraid? Am I, what am I afraid? Usually it's fear. Number five is a critical spirit. And this is really a big one in um, killing joy. We can be critical with others, often with our family members. We can be critical of ourselves. And when we are critical, What you are is judging and criticizing the masterpiece that God has created in you or in others. And you're not appreciating what he has done in his plan. He's brought his plan to life in that person, and he is in process of refining and remaking that person. And are you in a hurry for God to do his job faster, or do you think that you can help him do what he's doing? Critical words don't die and it says, there's a verse in the Bible that says that someday we will be held accountable for every word that we have said. A critical spirit kills joy in you, but it also kills joy in those around you, and especially your children. Number six is angst. And angst is that, uh, you know, have you ever had that where you just, you just don't, things are not right. And so I call it the wool sweater. I cannot wear wool. It just makes me so itchy. And so angst is like that wool sweater, you know? And so you kind of look at, okay, why am I feeling like this? Oh, it must be because my husband is doing that, or it must be because of my kids are doing that. And so you kind of look for reasons for why you feel angst and not recognizing that oftentimes when we feel angst, it's the enemy that has given us the wool sweater because he wants us to look out here and do all of those negative things that kill our joy. And so when you feel that uh, feeling, just remember to take off that wool sweater and give it back 
to the one that gave it to you in the first place. Um, I, somebody told me this week that there is um, a lot of science behind joy. And so I went online this week, and it was really interesting. And I'm probably going to continue my study of joy after today. But within the last 20 years, they have found that they can do brain mapping and that there is areas of your brain where your thoughts lie. So like this, your frontal lobe is where you make decisions and where you think about stuff and analyze and decide what to do. Just to the left of that is joy. In the back of your head is all your negative thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Now it said in my reading that naturally our, we're negative. Our thoughts will go negative naturally. And so to go to this joy place in your brain, you have to make a choice to do it. Now, the other thing that I learned is the more you go to this place or this place, the more you will go to that place. So the more you use brain pathways, the, more, the, mo the stronger they become. So they said that you can make a choice to change your brain. So if your brain has really strong pathways going to the negative thoughts, you can make a conscious decision to change your thoughts to go to places of joy. And the more you do that, you will change your brain and it will be easier to go there. So if God's created us to be joy-filled people, how can we become a joyful person? How can we be a person that jumps and twirls and shouts when life is hard? When you lose a loved one, when there's pain or loss, how, how about the hard stuff of life? Well, when I was a kid, we lived really close to the railroad tracks. And so I, I would love to go up and I'd try walking the railroad tracks. And so I'd walk for a while and fall off. And then I'd go on this side and I'd fall off. And so much like life, if this track, if this track is joy and this track is sorrow, we, try, we walk one path or the other. And God's will for us is that we experience both joy and sorrow at the same time. So I had trouble sleeping when I was a kid. And so about 1 o'clock in the morning, the train would come through. And for some odd reason, I knew that when the train would come through, I'd fall asleep. So when the, I could hear, the, we, the whole house would shake. We were so close to the railroad tracks. And it always put me to sleep. I would li like to suggest that Jesus is the train. So if we want to walk, if we want to do this life in both joy and sorrow at the same time, we need to get on the train. Jesus said in John 15, 11, he said, and he, he just talked to his disciples this intimate conversation where he says he's leaving, and they're so sorrowful, and they're saying, why are you going? You know, we don't want you to go. We want to go with you wherever you're, where you're going. And he said, you can't. And he predicted that they would have persecution and tribulation in this world. So he told them a lot of sorrowful things. But he says, verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So I thought, okay, it says these things. So what are these things? So I went back in John 15, and I looked and it says, he, that's where he talks a lot about abiding. And he says, abide, he commands them to abide just in that one little paragraph seven times. So I looked up the word abide, and it means to stay, 
to sit or to stay or to remain. And I like, is there a picture? I love Norman Rockwell. And so I have this picture on a plate at my house. I just love this picture of the girl sitting on her grandfather's lap. And I think it's a good picture of what God wants us to do with him. He wants us to sit and to stay and to listen. Does she know it's in that box? No, because he just opened the box, and one at a time, he's going to show you the treasure. He's going to show her the treasures in that box. He'll probably tell her stories. He'll probably tell her a lot of things, and she is waiting expectantly for the treasures that he's going to reveal to her. Kim, when he got prostate cancer, and I may have told this another Mother's Day, I can't remember, but it was such a profound experience for me because we got... We were coming home from the doctor, and Kim was going to drop me off and then go to church, and we just gotten this news about his prostate cancer. And so um, I was like, I'd been holding in the tears through the doctor's appointment and in the car, and I could not wait to get in the door of my house so I could just let it loose. And I got in the house, and I, I just re- I remember standing on the stairway going up to my living room where I was going to have a just pity party, just sad, whatever, and... Um, the Lord said, don't do this because you do not know the rest of the story. So I walked up to the top of the stairs and was like, oh, I don't know the rest of the story. Okay, so now what I'm going to do? I can't cry. So I went about, and I went about the things of my day. And God was so faithful in all of that that it's a, it was a powerful testimony. I found out here at church on a Sunday morning that my dad died, and so did the same thing. I went in the nursery, and I said, I started to cry, and I said, Lord, I asked you to, to, I asked you to tell me that my dad was saved before he died, and I was pretty sure that, that he was not. And so I was like going, Lord, I asked you this, and you didn't answer my prayer. And he said, he told me so clear, he says, you don't know that I didn't answer your prayer. And he said, I want you to just listen. Just listen and wait. And he spoke to me through many different avenues about my dad and my dad's salvation, what he had done in my dad's life. We often think of sitting as quiet time. It's really important to have quiet time alone, to get alone and to pray, spend time with God. But you can sit and stay in your heart wherever you are, in your car, when you're talking to somebody, whatever, you can, you can sit in God's presence. Number two, abide in my words. And he says that in the same same verse. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. We, in our early years of marriage, loved to go up to Lake Superior. And we'd love to stand on the rocks that overlook Lake Superior, you know, in the crashing waves. And Lake Superior is the coldest, deepest, um, most dangerous, and let's see, coldest, deepest, largest lake in the world. And we would stand up on those rocks. But was I afraid? Me? I was not afraid. Because I know that those rocks are not going anywhere. They're not going to be washed away, and they are going to be stationary. So I could stand on the rocks and look over at the crashing waves. And I also knew that I could watch them from above. So when we stand on the rock, we have this vantage point of seeing things from God's perspective. Corey Ten Boom tells in her book, The Hiding Place, about her sister, Betsy, who um, Corey and 
her sister, their family would house Jews, and they got caught. And so they were put in a concentration camp. And Betsy would always find things to be thankful for in everything. And so Corey says in her book that she could be thankful that she had a Bible. She could be thankful that her sister was there with her. She could be thankful that she had other women. She wasn't in solitary somewhere alone. She could be thankful for those things. But she could not be thankful for the hordes of fleas in their dirty, thin blankets. And she could not understand how Betsy could be thankful for the fleas. Well, they had a Bible, and the two of them decided that they wanted to start a Bible study of hope and answers for the women that, that were in their, the area of the camp. And so, but they knew that there was a danger, a serious danger, if they would be caught doing that. So they were very cautious at first in how they did that. Pretty soon they learned that they could just do it. They could have these Bible studies and nobody bothered them, even though the guards were always in the camp but they were in other parts of the camp. Why? Because of the fleas. The guards hated the fleas, and so they wouldn't come near that corner of where they stayed. The third thing, the last thing, is to go. And in John 15, God says, Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go. So it's not just to sit, stay, abide in his word, but we are to go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he will give it to you. I love watching babies. I love watching babies when, you know, you watch a little infant and you go, oh, he can hold his head up so good. You know, you watch for that. Pretty soon they're pushing up with their arms, you know, and so you notice all these little milestones of them getting ready to walk. So there's little steps that they go to walk. Do we teach them how to do that? No. They, it is innate with them to want to walk. And once they do, they get so excited once they do all these things. And when they're walking, pretty soon they're running and then they're riding bike. And what do they do when they are practicing? They do it over and over and over and over again. When we have the Holy Spirit in our life, the Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit, and that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. And just like a baby, we have that in, innate desire in us when we have the Holy Spirit to, to, to bear fruit in our relationships, in our life. You know, joy is the second thing in that list. And so as we see God transforming us, and wow, I was patient in that traffic jam, or I just really feel love for this difficult person. You, 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 to have the fruit of the Spirit brings joy. So it's all, all about our attitude. We can serve Jesus in joy, we can serve others in joy, or we can do it out of a sense of duty, and which gives God glory. Jesus also said here that um, whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, this is the very last thing he, he says in this discourse. And I just think that it's interesting that twice in this patch, passage, he says, whatever you ask in my name, he will give it to you. I have noticed that joyful people have more prayers answered. And I've also noticed that people who have their prayers answered are joyful. So I think it works both ways. When I, um, my mom, 
when I was going through her journals, I was reminded of the amazing Christian woman that she was. I know a lot of who I am today is because of my mother's investment in me. And when I read her journals, I wanted to read about all of the things that God did in and through her life. She was such a pillar in our church. And she was, the young people of all ages loved her. And there were so many thank you notes in her stuff from young people who, who thanked my mom for the investment that she had made in her life. But as I read her journals, what was missing? What was missing was joy. When I was a child, I remember wanting to have a family. I wanted to have a husband and kids, but I, I was in a family. I had a mom and I had a dad. They were together. I had a sister, but there was one missing ingredient, and I believe that was joy. I believe that my mom did not experience and pass on that gift of joy. And I believe that is so, so important. When you are a joy-filled person, you will impact generations in your joy. I love Duck Dynasty. and I love the crazy antics that they do. And I love the funniness of Psy. But what I really love, and I would be, I, would, I don't think I'd watch it if it wasn't for the last scene. What is the last scene? It's the family all around the table with Phil praying, thanking God for everything, for their food, for their family, all that they have. And they could have, you could have seen where the two brothers were just in conflict and fighting, or a husband and wife were having conflict, but around the table, they show these people that are laughing and smiling and enjoying each other. And I think that's where God wants us to be, where God wants us to live. So I would like you to watch this clip of Duck Dynasty. I want you to look for the smiles and listen for the laughter. I love that cackle at the end. <laughs> so let's close in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for your plan. I thank you so much for your provision. I thank you for hardships and trials. And the greater the hardship, the greater the trial, the greater the joy when, you, when we experience you in the middle of it and when you save, it from us, save us from it in the end. Just like a, a good meal tastes so much better when we're hungry. And so, Lord, we are hungry for you. We're hungry for joy. We're hungry for your presence because we know in your presence and in your provision is only where we can find um, true joy. So we just ask that you would remind us this week of show us when we are killing joy in the attitudes that we are harboring. And we just pray that you would bring them to our light. We, we pray that you would remind us of your blessings to us. We pray that you would help us to look for and expectantly wait for the treasures that you have for us of your goodness in each day. We um, just thank you that we are people of faith and that you are, we are faith in a God who is good. We just praise you and give you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
today in honor of Mother's Day. There are roses at the back which have been purchased by the overseers, so we ask that you would take one home. There's Connection Cafe, coffee 